This is a good one, guys. Hi, Liz Hack, host of Small Shop Fundraising. Today on the on the show today, we're going to have Ashley Duncan. She is the diversity hiring specialist in Jefferson County Public Schools located in Louisville, Kentucky. We're going to talk a lot about diversity, inclusion, and equity. And you're going to want to stay to the very end. The last question I ask her is, what can we do tomorrow to be more inclusive? Stay tuned. Ashley, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for having me, Liz. I'm so happy for you. Thank you. This is a great opportunity for you to just really reach people in a different way. So I'm happy for you. Well, thank you. Yeah, that's what I wanted to do. Before we start recording, I was telling Ashley about why I started this podcast. And it's really just to be another resource for small to medium-sized nonprofits. And that's why we have Ashley on the show today. We're going to talk about Louisville, Kentucky. And we're going to talk about her background and how we as nonprofits, especially the small to medium-sized nonprofits, can take our place in our communities and how they're dealing with basically two crises at the same time and what, what our roles and what our lanes can be as we move forward. So, but before we get into all that, Ashley, could you talk a little bit about your 13 years in the Transit Authority of River City, TARC, and then how you transitioned and how you got to where you are with the Jefferson County Public Schools. Sure. So I spent 13 years in leadership, but total time at TARC, I spent 19 years there. And so I tell people I started at TARC when I was like five or six. (laughs) So that gives them an opportunity to really think about what my age really is. (laughs) But I started off when I was a freshman in high school. They had an entrepreneurship program. I was at the time in the business and entrepreneurship magnet and one of those magnet summer programs was an opportunity to work at a local uh, company some of the internships were paid some of them were not paid and i thought about the proximity to central high school which is where i graduated from the proximity to the bus line and just the accessibility i was going to have to navigate having a new job and tark was across the street so I would walk to TARC every day from school. And so 19 years later, I was able to say that I had a successful career at TARC. I started off as an intern. I worked in every single department. I've worked, I was the youngest director ever named at TARC at the time of me leaving. I think I still hold that title. But, you know, transit, one of the things that working at TARC taught me was the importance of corporate engagement because we were led by an executive director that was heavily involved in the nonprofit sector and he made that a part of the fabric and the dna of tark but also the importance of having accessibility to a basic need like transportation because people literally would take transportation for life-saving you would have to catch the bus to go get dialysis or get groceries or get go to visit doctor's appointments or just simply go to work or school and so that was really important in my growth as a professional and in the nonprofit world. JCPS in 2017 had a new position and a really strong pivot toward diversity and inclusion for students and staff. And so the position was titled diversity hiring specialist. And you know, I was like, well, this is different. It was probably the hardest decision I ever had to make, which was just applying. And so when I was awarded the position, it was a difficult decision to leave TARC because many people at that time who identified who I was identified me with TARC. 
but I thought that that was also an opportunity for me to change my branding and really impact more people. I love TARC and I will always love TARC, but I was only in terms of workforce able to support upwards of 650 people. Working at JCPS, I have the opportunity to, in, to impact over 14,000. And yeah. so that's just part of who I am. I really enjoy the work that I do. It is very difficult, but my job is designed to create policies and procedures that help the hiring process and infuse diversity and equity in everything that we do in the hiring process. I think that's yeah. a snapshot. That's a great <laughs> snapshot. Thank you. And so I want to talk more about what you said, the difficult portion of your job. And, and I, I want you to explain that more. And, and before you do that, I want to make sure my listeners understand that I believe that my role right now as we face social uncertainty, these injustices that we see across the country, and for me as a white person, a white female, I feel like my job right now, my lane that I choose to pick is to stop talking and listen. And so what you'll see as we move through this podcast is a lot of questions and Ashley just speaking from her experiences, especially as a diversity specialist within education and her previous role in transit. So Ashley, can you talk more about why you say that your job is difficult? So I'll approach that from a couple couple different places, Liz. The first thing I'll say is, you know, the conversation around diversity and inclusion is on the tip of everyone's tongue, right? Like if you search on LinkedIn or any other job search platform, what you will see is an increase in jobs that have the title of diversity or equity or inclusion or belonging in those. And so with that conversation, it is sometimes watered down, but I think it's important for people to know that I've been doing the work in the space of diversity and inclusion when it was not called that. When I worked at TARC, the first position I assumed was the equal opportunity ombudsman and then the civil rights program manager and then diversity hiring director. And so much of the 13 years that you really talked about was spent doing a lot of this work that was not even titled diversity and inclusion. And so you working there, it was really important for me to understand um, and learn how vastly different, right? People saw and heard the word diversity or what inclusion was. And really sometimes in many places, even though it's on the tip of many people's tongue, and I say people, nonprofit, for-profit, the media, what you will see is uh, a very lukewarm understanding of what that means, right? We have an all white board, we wanna add one person of color, or we have an all male board, we wanna add a female. And really getting to the root of what diversity and inclusion is, is so much more than that. So I think that's a great launching pad for just thinking about when I spent my time at TARC, that was really an important time for me to learn that people needed to be educated on what diversity and inclusion is, and frankly is not. And a lot of it is rooted in history of specifically the country of the United States and how people of color were brought here. And so the other piece, you know, thinking about my time at JCPS. So my position is a brand new position or it was a brand new position at that time. And so there's always already a sense of feeling of uncertainty because this woman is gonna come in <laughs> and change the entire way that we do business. And that was not my goal. My goal was to make the way that JCPS approached hiring better. But frankly, there were places that needed to be changed because of 
an audit that took place well before I, I got there. And it was really because of the boldness of the Board of Education that they said, we need a racial equity policy that supports students and administrators within the organization. And so one of the reasons why my job is hard is because I have to change policy and policy changes systemic outcomes. So a lot of what people hear is, well, this is the way that we have done this for 10, 15, 40 years. And now you're asking me to change that. And fundamentally, if you've worked in the same place or in the same position for 20 or 30 years, I am coming in and fracturing everything that you know to be true about the hiring process or about a particular policy. So just compartmentalizing that makes it incredibly difficult. You're changing a policy that I know top to bottom, frontwards and backwards. And so that's one piece of it. The other piece, frankly, is because I don't have a background in, in education. And so through the two year, two and a half years that I've been at JCPS, I've had to spend time teaching people and helping people understand that I am a subject matter expert in diversity and inclusion, if, even if I'm not in the space of education. And I don't need to know about instruction or academic outcomes to know what it looks like to treat all people, students, administrators, applicants with, dig with dignity and respect. And so that's another reason why it was hard is because people frankly did not really take the time to really get to know me. That has since changed and people say, oh my God, you know, your, your feedback was invaluable. I, you really changed the way I thought about things. And that's really what diversity and inclusion is all about, is changing the minds of how we fundamentally are taught or exposed to different things in our society. Liz, one thing I will say to you is that, you know, I would encourage you not to be silent. And I think that you are not being silent by using your platform. Um, as a white woman, you are an ally. You have the power to be an ally. And so it's important that you use your voice to help those around you. And if your voice, and this is for you and your listeners, if your voice is simply saying, I don't know what to do with, but if you, but if you can help me or show me how, that is more powerful than not saying anything. Yeah. Um, so I would encourage you to use your voice in a way that you feel comfortable. And that's, that's part of it is, hey, I don't know what this means, but I know I want to change systemic outcomes or I want to change the way my company or my nonprofit services the people in the community. Can you just help me figure out what that looks like? I appreciate you saying that. Thank you. And uh, I think this is uh, for me personally and maybe listeners in the nonprofit sector, maybe this is their first step. Maybe they don't know, you know, and I think a lot of people might be able to say this. Uh, this is listening and learning is the first step to action. And mm -hmm. I think personally, that's the first part of our communities being able to change and develop for the better so that we can all be better uh, in the future. 100%. I completely agree with that. And I think the other piece of that is thinking about, from a nonprofit perspective, who you serve, who you want to serve, and what need you are addressing in that space. Well, and so um, just getting back to your what you what you're an expert in and, and how you've been doing this work, as you said, for almost two decades now. But it seems like these last year or even and five years, maybe two years, there seems to have been a huge shift potentially. Mm -hmm. And so how do you think diversity and inclusion has changed over the last year besides just having a position for it in, in certain companies, depending on their size? That's a really good question. Um, how do I think it's changed? So I think in some ways it has 
improved greatly. I think in other ways it's it's worsened because there are a lot of political dynamics that impact the way that we see the world, media dynamics. There's a lot of things that make it worse. Um, but overall, I think that having the conversation around diversity and inclusion, whether it's an authentic conversation or a temporary conversation, is better than not having it at all. And so I, I appreciate that and I value that. I think it depends on the, the way that we think about it. You know, I can say from working in or on nonprofit boards and serving and volunteering, the conversation is different when it comes to diversity and inclusion. You know, as a board member, I am very vocal about seeing the trends of hiring. I am very vocal about seeing people of color and women and men who don't look like the typical people that should be in leadership in positions where they need to be. Um, and then beyond that, I really push the question and conversation around who are we serving? Like what need are we meeting? And how are we really thinking about targeting that particular group of people who need those services? And so the change I think comes from an elevation of voices around the table. One of the things I, I try to make a really intentional decision in doing is making sure I ask questions around the why. Like, why are we doing this? Okay, and then what, right? And so what happens after that? And digging deeper, because if you start at that surface level, you will not see systemic change. You will not see impact. You will not see sustainability in the world of diversity and inclusion. And so really having those gut punch statements, you know, that when people see, I think Ben and Jerry's recently was like, we're an ally. Like we've seen some very um, surface level statements since Breonna Taylor and um, George Floyd and all of the killings of unarmed African-American and black people. But you know, the statements from these companies, some of them are just really stale and <laughs> not full of um, vigor at all. But then you have some that say, this is really bad. And so I think it really is a range of how people are approaching the conversation. Overall, I think that we are in a good place. We are seeing the change that needs to happen. I don't know what word we need to use, but a part of me wants to call it something different than diversity because that gives people of this real response that sometimes is not right. <laughs> intended for the outcome that we hope to see. So we need to find a new word for that. I mean, that's just <laughs> like my lofty goal in my head. Like I said, I don't know what that word is or what it might look like, but I just don't know that people are responding to it the way that they were 10 years ago uh -huh. or even five years ago to your, to your question. Well, that's definitely a challenge to our communities to, to find the right, because language is so important. We need to find the right wording in order to make it make it right, make it the right statement. So it doesn't it's a it's a positive. So let's talk more about what small to medium sized nonprofits need to be mindful of. I know that you're on the board of Junior League of Louisville. Or at least you have been in the past, and mm -hmm. I know you're also involved in other aspects of the community where nonprofits are engaging. So these, these nonprofits, they're not very big. They've got a lot of things on their plate. This could feel like one more thing to think about and do. And yeah. it feels heavy. And it feels uh, insurmountable. And I'm certain that there are ways in which that we can talk about right now that nonprofits can be mindful of when talking about inclusion, when uh, bringing in diversity, if they have, don't already have it. And so what can, what advice can you provide to those nonprofits right now? You know, I think that starts with the board of directors that they are serving. Um, and then it also starts with the leader. 
and I will tell you, I will not, you know, share names, but I have, you know, approached boards where I served and said, you know, for the time that I've been here, I have really tried to be an advocate for diversity and inclusion or change in these specific ways. And when that change as a board member does not happen, I take my time, talent, and treasure somewhere else because it's not an authentic experience, especially when I have been approached to help in that space. Mm -hmm. And so then people freak out and they're like, oh my God, you know, we don't have this black woman, one of the only ones (laughs) on our board anymore, right? Mm -hmm. And so one of the things I will say is the board and the executive director, the executive team need to have an honest conversation because doing it and doing it well is the most important thing. Doing it and doing it wrong can hurt you in the long run in more ways than you can ever imagine. And so I think that's a needs assessment. It's definitely a conversation that needs to happen. You know, what do we need to do? Who are we serving and are we missing the mark? That to me, Liz, is probably one of the most sobering conversations that people can have because people will say, and it needs to be an honest and transparent conversation. People will say, well, I don't really want to be on this board if we're going to talk about diversity and inclusion. That's not why I signed up, right? Mm -hmm. And then you'll have people say, well, I'm not going to serve on this board if we're not going to have that conversation because the people we serve the way that I donate my money and my time. And that is important to me. And so I think it really needs to be a reflective conversation. They need to be willing to say what they want to do and who they are serving. And if the convert, like are just on a basic level, Liz, especially in the space of Louisville, Kentucky, I will say two things. One, if they are not having conversations around how black people are being treated and how that impacts the people that they serve, that's a huge miss. The second piece, if they are not targeting the fastest growing population, which is our Hispanic and Latino population, that's another huge miss. And I don't care if they don't serve people of color or they don't serve black people as a social and corporate responsibility, it is a necessity. It can be a little scary to have Mm -hmm. these bold, courageous conversations with your board of directors or AKA your boss, right? Oh yeah. What, what advice can you give our listeners on how to best approach this, these types of hard, brave, courageous conversations? Yeah. So one of the first things I think needs to happen is that the leader really needs to think about what could change and have, and that needs to be, it could be an honest conversation with the person one-on-one, right? Sometimes these conversations don't need to happen for the first time in front of your entire board. And it could be a conversation with a subject matter expert like myself or anyone else that says, what do we look like to the community? What are we doing wrong? How are we missing this? We don't know what to do. I think that is, especially for white people, I think if you don't know what to do, it's best for you to say, I don't know what to do, but I want to do something. Help me figure out what that is. But also the person or the organization, the company that's helping, they need to be incredibly aware of where they are in their diversity journey. And I cannot stress that enough because what happens is you get a person who believes that they should be further along and they push and push and push. And then that pushing starts to become an alienation of your most critical partners and your board member. So that's something I would definitely recommend just being mindful of. So having the right person start that dialogue is, is, is crucial, but a private conversation I think would be, it's, it's, it's okay to happen. You know, you don't have to be on the front page of business first or the, your local newspaper to say, we don't know what we're doing and we need help. That's perfectly fine. Another step would be to really think about how (laughs) you, 
need to change how you service people. And so, you know, another way that I have found that nonprofits are finding some success is through a book study. And I know some people will feel a, a way about me saying that, but that's a very easy way to approach the conversation. It's almost like just dipping your toe in the water because you don't need to just jump in the pool, pool head first and just really examining like, where are we with this conversation um, and with this, with this goal, asking themselves, let's take a look around. What does our staff look like? What communities do we go in and serve? How can we think differently about where our company will be, our nonprofit will be in two or three years? And really, if they really think about that in the service that is happening, they will probably see that the needs are gonna change. The people that they serve will likely change. And so um, in terms of being sustainable, pivoting to that need now is better than doing it when it's in front of them and they need to do it and they don't know how to respond. Do you have a book that they that uh, you would recommend to a staff of a nonprofit to start a book uh, study? Oh, uh, not to put you on I, the spot. Well, <laughs> I have a, <laughs> I have a lot of books, but I think it would be it would not be wise of me to recommend just one book. Okay. Because it would depend on where they are in their journey. Do you think we could add? Uh, well, maybe we could add a list of books in the, oh, in the show sure. notes. Okay. Oh, so yeah. that's what we'll do. Books that Ashley is recommending, depending on where you are in your journey. And we'll put that in the show notes. Yeah, I will be glad to do that. I think this will be one of my last questions. So here's my concern. I don't want people checking a box and going, okay, we did that and Mm -hmm. move on and try to go back to what they consider to be a new normal. So, or their their old normal. Um, How might uh, an organization or a nonprofit or, or just people in general not, not stop the conversation continue that conversation so we talked a little bit we talked a little bit about sustainability that's kind of where i'm going with this how do how does this conversation continue forward Mm -hmm. through 2021 and beyond i don't like to use strategic plan i don't like strategic plans and most people who work in nonprofits are very accustomed to the practice of or that's absolutely true (laughs) people like strategic plans the process of convening a team clearing our schedules getting in a room having a really amazing lunch to really bore ourselves with the conversation around budget and staffing and just all these things and so i would encourage you to really research the conversation around compression planning Mm-hmm. and reimagine the work that you're doing in that way because that gives you a tangible and actionable list of outcomes. But doing that for all of the company or nonprofit initiatives, but embedding diversity and inclusion in every conversation, right? So if you're gonna, if you have new new service, if you get this big grant, great. How are we addressing diversity and inclusion needs, right? How are, like, it needs to be a part of the recipe. It needs to be embedded in every single thing, every conversation around hiring, staffing, support services, the communities you volunteer in, the people you, the demographic makeup of your staff, the demographic makeup of your board, your diversity in your donor base, right? Instead of going to those same donors, like, do you have a diverse donor base? And so that conversation needs to be embedded in everything. And the easiest way really to do that is what we've done at JCPS. We have something called the REAP document and the document is designed for us to really review policies that we have. And so the policy, this document is a guide that, sh- that asks questions. Does this impact disproportionately a, p- a segment of the population? Are we changing the way that we are doing 
business? Have we identified the greatest need, right? And so because of that, we are now saying, well, we don't have all of our services in Spanish or Arabic, mm -hmm. and we need to do that, right? But before we did have that conversation, it wasn't a part of the conversa conversation yeah. at all. And so using a compression planning tool will be my first recommendation, but completely revamping whatever strategic plan you have and infusing diversity, inclusion, and equity a part of each one of those core competencies or tools that, that nonprofits see to be the most important and pressing needs for the, for the organization. Whether it's funding or staffing or volunteer or events, all of those need to have a diversity lens. If you don't have that, then it will not be a sustainable conversation. And continuing to have people in the conversation who are not like everyone else, right? If you have all men, you need to have some women. If you have all white people, you need to have some people of color, some black people. If everyone speaks English, well, you need to have people who don't speak English. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. You know, just those very small but incredibly impactful things will make a huge difference. But the other piece about diversity, and I'm sure everyone has heard, well, I can't say I'm sure, but many people have heard the phrase diversity and inclusion is just like being invited, you know, diversity is being invited to the party. Inclusion is being asked to dance when you get to the party. Well, equity is, is saying, well, we're only playing American music or country music or R&B. What kind of music do you like that will make you feel like you belong here? And so thinking about those particular segments in the space of diversity and inclusion for nonprofits also means giving the people who you invite in the room, whether it's on the board or your donor base, your volunteers, a voice mm -hmm. and not being fragile with the conversation of, well, that's offensive to me, or I don't believe that, or we've never done that. Well, this is how a person feels and this is their, their perspective. And so leaning into that a little bit more and really shedding that fragility mindset. That's wonderful. Thanks. Thank you so much for being here. I did I did have one more question. I, I feel like I usually do a round of questions at the end that, you know, like one piece of advice and one resource. I feel like there's been a lot of great advice, uh, a lot of great things. But if there was one thing that somebody could do tomorrow when mm -hmm. they walked into their office or they logged on to their Zoom call, what is one thing that a person could do working at a small to medium-sized nonprofit tomorrow to be more inclusive tomorrow. tomorrow so i would say think about your privilege we all have a level of privilege whether we want to accept it or not think about your privilege think about our entitlement think about what we find comfort in and find one thing that will make you completely uncomfortable that would freak you out that will make you itch mm -hmm. <laughs> and find a way to enter that dialogue that conversation that listen to another podcast read a book follow someone else different than you on instagram or facebook or twitter and find ways to really commit to thinking differently so if that means finding a new friend supporting a business that's not in your part of town or visiting a different part of town or going to a different park whatever that means take a baby step mm -hmm. and just do that and just take yourself through the journey on diversity and inclusion in a different way. But it needs to be something that you are completely unfamiliar with that you know will cha will challenge your fundamental beliefs, but will also help you. Change is not comfortable. It, it's it not freaks us to be. out. Yeah. yeah. So <laughs> it will be a change for you, but that will be something that you will definitely, and really having an open mind, like when you start to hear things that are completely against your fundamental beliefs and really dig deep into 
asking yourself why why you feel the way you do and why you feel so strongly about that. That's great advice. Really appreciate you coming on to Small Shop Fundraising. No problem. Uh, is there anything else you want to tell our listeners before we wrap up? Um, you, you know, the only sing. thing, well, <laughs> I think there are different people at different places of the journey, you know, and some people who work in this space with me probably look at me like I'm soft um, or I'm not loud or not whatever enough. And then some people think I'm too much, right? And Mm -hmm. so I think one of the most important things is understanding where people are in the journey and remembering to treat everyone with dignity and respect. I don't care who it is. CEO, intern, (laughs) frontline employee, everyone deserves to be treated with dignity and respect. Great advice from Ashley Duncan. Ashley, thanks again so much for being with us today on Small Shop Fundraising. Uh, We really appreciate it, and hopefully we can get you back on uh, some other time to talk about some other really important subject matters that impact all of us, even across the country, not just Louisville, Kentucky. This has been Small Shop Fundraising. I'm your host, Liz Hack, and we'll see you next time.